things we like talked about today are the uh, the way we're portrayed. Yeah. The way we're treated. Yep. In society. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know if nobody's had the guts to speak up or they just haven't had the opportunity, but we got both, and we're gonna share. First thing, mad cow disease. Really? Why would really? they call it that? Really? You think we're all mad running around? We walk in a field and eat grass. How I read on Wikipedia that? that that has nothing to do with cows. Look yeah. it up. Wikipedia is always right. You know what else about had it up to here with? What's that? Our products being mm. associated with missing children. Oh, yeah. Milk carton. What Check it out. There's a missing kid. Just plaster. Why don't they What's put that on? on some crackers? Milk carton. Some Why don't crackers? you put it on your car? What about a bag of celery? You know what else? I don't know. I don't know. I forgot. State fairs. Oh, county fairs. Oh. Any fair. FFH, whatever it is. I don't care what it, doesn't it is. Doesn't matter. My cousins, my mama, even I got to do it last year, and they say, man, what a treat. You're in front of all these people. It's embarrassing. It's utterly ridiculous. You're up in no front of everybody. No pun intended. No pun intended. For the world to see. How would you? Not even going to go there. Not even going to go there. I don't even. Right. Hey, hey, hey. Last year was a bad year. Well, you're never going to look at cows the same after seeing that video of the Kevins. Hi, I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor here at Life Church, and it's great to have you with us this weekend. Uh, we're concluding our series this weekend on uh, cow tipping, where we've been talking about issues that most of the time we don't talk about in church, and today's especially true with that. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we're going to get started here in just a minute. One of the things I want to say is... Um, is that this weekend, in the message that we're going to go through, I'm going to be hitting multiple kind of questions that I get as a pastor that are kind of hot topics. And so with that, um, I'm going to try to make sure that we kind of go through them as quickly as possible or not it kind of becomes like barbed wire. you got a point here, a point there, and it's a whole lot of mess in the middle. But um, I want to start with this. I've, I've always been told as a child that, um, you know, and growing up, and I believe this, that the Bible has the answers to all of life's questions. Whatever question you may have, the Bible has the answers. And wouldn't it be great if, like, the Bible, you could just ask a question, and then it would just pop up the answer? Um, it's not quite that simple, but, but it, 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 it is true. And the Bible speaks of itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, which is what we're doing now, for rebuking, which would mean to, to confront someone, to correct uh, and in training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that be you and me, and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how do you go to the Bible for life's answers? Well, uh, in order to understand that, let, let me give you a couple things, and we're going to kind of work with this this weekend. First of all, there are times where the Bible is declarative, where it's just crystal clear. You have a question, and the Bible says, Here's it, here it is. Can I kill someone? Can I murder someone? The Bible says no. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Boom, it's declarative. In those moments uh, of, of asking those questions, when the Bible is totally clear, um, we just have to say, that's it. 
God stated it. God's word's our authority, and it's our standard, and, and that's what we're doing. The second time, uh, the, the, or the second way, is when you, it doesn't really deal directly with the question that you're asking, but there's a principle or a truth from God's word. Because sometimes some of the issues that we deal with are cultural, which means they've only happened in our lifetime. I.e., Jesus didn't have movies to go to, so... Uh, in the first century. So, you know, can a Christian go to a rated R movie? Yes or no? Well, that becomes a question that's somewhat cultural. So you've got to go back to a little bit deeper and you've got to find a principle. Because if you just make a sweeping statement and say no, well, then The Passion of the Christ, the movie about Jesus, was rated R because the graphic violence, is that right or wrong? So we need to make sure that we're dealing with that and going back to what does the Bible say? Let's look at the principle and not just make sweeping changes. And by principle, I mean uh, it's dealing with the nature, the root of the issue or the question. Now, the, the, the third thing is that uh, sometimes the Bible is declarative. Sometimes it speaks in principle. Sometimes it's silent on an issue. There's nothing. And there's no real principle to apply. And so, uh, and in that type, you have to almost look for counsel or advice or opinion. Today, I'm going to give you my opinion those times, and I'll be telling you when that is. And I know opinions are kind of like armpits. Everybody's got a couple, and they usually smell. But the reality is, is that um, there is a biblical truth here and a biblical principle that, uh, that there is safety in the counsel of many. And so that that is a way to be able to go to someone who is a mature Christ follower who has wisdom and authority and, 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 and say, how do you do this? How, 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 do you, how do you deal with this? Now, let me say this. In essence, it's okay to disagree. Just don't become disagreeable, especially over issues that may be silent in Scripture. I like to say it like this, that we're firm on the essentials, the essentials, the, 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 the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, the, the fact that you know, Jesus is the Son of the living God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, just like the Bible says. I mean, that, we, we, that's it, period. I mean, we believe that. We, we don't, those are the, that's, that's, that's what I mean by essentials. But on the non-essentials, there's liberty. There's some room on that. And so, because this Bible sometimes doesn't speak to everything. And so you're going to see some of that today. So I hope that as you are asking questions in your own life, I hope that you learn how we're doing this today and be able to see how to apply this in your own life to go, is it declarative? Here's my question. Does the Bible have a declarative answer? Is it about principle? You know, the Bible has a, has a, a question. I have a question and the Bible speaks to it in principle. Or is it... The Bible's silent on the issue, and then I need to go to people of wisdom or even pray and just ask the Lord for wisdom in that particular situation. So here we go. The first of four questions that I'm going to answer today in this cow tipping series. Um, question number one, is it okay for Christians to have tattoos? Well, here's what you need to understand. First of all, 40% of Americans ages 26 to 40 have tattoos, and that number is on the rise. And when you talk about tattoos, the question is, are tats mentioned in the Bible? Well, yes, they are. So let's look at that. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself, for I am the Lord. So it's pretty, things to be pretty straightforward, pretty declarative. Now, when you talk to people about tattoos, here's the arguments that you get. First of all, people uh, say, you know, people may judge you or put you in a category if you have a tattoo. So you need to, you may, you may or may not want to do that. They may judge you as rebellious or whatever. Second statement that you get from people that are against tattoos is that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen through twenty says this: Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Are you not your own? 
you, you are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the reality is that we have responsibility. Our physical bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have responsibility of what we do with these physical bodies. And then the other thing about people say about argument against tattoos is that it's a permanent decision. So what that means is that, hey, the body changes. So uh, what that tattoo looks like at 18 may, look, may, look, may not look the same at 48. So uh, things change, things shift, they sag and they drag. So I'll let you go from there. But, but I mean, that's it. Now, the argument for tattoos, it's interesting. They'll go right back to the same passage, Leviticus chapter 19, and argue that it's okay to have tattoos. And here's the reason why. Because in Leviticus 19, and I'm not going to read all of that today. You can read it on your own. If you have your Bibles there, you can actually open it up and read it. But it, it basically says there's some other things that you shouldn't do. Tattoos aren't the only thing. It, it says you shouldn't plant a field with two types of seed. Well, if you have a garden and you have more than one type of vegetation that you've planted, you've violated Leviticus chapter 19. Or you shouldn't wear clothing with two types of cloth. Blended. So if you're wearing a two types of cloth or two types of clothing today, you've violated Leviticus chapter 19, the Old Testament law. The Bible says in Leviticus 19 that men shouldn't cut their hair on the sides. So if you've had your hair cut or trimmed on the sides, you've violated Leviticus chapter 19. It also says men shouldn't cut off the edges of their beard. If you've cut off the edges of your beard or trimmed your beard, you've violated Leviticus 19. So where are you going with this, Aaron? Well, let, let me answer the question for you, but let me walk you through it so you can see. Because sometimes when you read things, it's, at first glance, it's, it's pretty straightforward. But you have to make sure that you're getting the full context. You can't just take a scripture out of context. So to give you an answer, let, 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 let me give you a couple things. First of all, the Old Testament, as is with the whole Bible, but especially in the whole Old Testament, uh, you find that there's a lot of descriptive activity going on. So it's describing so just because they lived in tents and rode chariots doesn't mean that we need to do that in the 21st century. Uh, and for me to say that, you say, well, of course I know that. But there are some things that are just descriptive. It's just describing what happens. But then there's also things in Scripture that are prescriptive. All the Scripture theologically is, is basically boils down to descriptive or prescriptive. It's either describing or it's prescribing. Like you get a prescription from Walgreens. Describing or prescribing. Much of the Old Testament is describing. Now, there are principles that are prescriptive, um, and there, but, but, but there's a lot of description going on for us to understand some things. The second thing is, is that the Leviticus is part of the law. It's, it embodies that. And, and so the law was given in the Old Testament, which the law, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, uh, was given in order for man, for Israel, to live in right relationship with God. Well, Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, the New Covenant, and he says, look, I didn't come to do away with the law or with the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but I came to fulfill the law or the Old Testament or the Old, Cast or, or the Old Covenant. So the reality is if you are following Jesus and Jesus is in you and you are in him, then in doing that, you're fulfilling the law, which means you no longer have to do all like sacrifice lambs and goats and pigeons and you're not having to do that because Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice and he did that for you and so and following him John chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ is the word of God in flesh he's God incarnate he's God in flesh and so to follow Jesus means that we are following we are fulfilling the law Jesus said he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So in following him, we follow all the requirements of the, of the Old Testament. 
Now, the third thing to understand here, and this is kind of where I'm getting at with the, the descriptive, prescriptive part, this will make some sense, is that when, the Le- when Leviticus was written, the law was written, Israel is leaving the bondage of Egypt. And Egypt was a pagan or a sinful place that worshipped many gods, lowercase g, many gods. And so the reality is, is that in their tradition, in order to worship these gods, they would tattoo themselves, and they would trim their beards, and they would shave the sides of their heads. Thus, God was saying in Leviticus, look, I don't want you to tattoo yourself, shave the side of your head, or trim your beard to serve a god You have left that, leave that lifestyle behind, and start this new life, start this new lifestyle. Well, that's kind of what I would say if if I'm a pastor, and you've you've been a hellraiser for 25 years, and all of a sudden you come and you do a 180 and you give your life to Jesus, and in that instant I go, look, all of the stuff that you've done in the past, leave it behind. All of that lifestyle, leave it behind, and now come and follow Jesus into this new life. So Leviticus is given so that the nation of Israel can leave the old behind and start anew and afresh. It's kind of what Jesus did for for us, right? To leave the old behind and to give us new life. And so so the reality is is that these haircuts, these beard trimmings, these tattoos were about idolatry. Ah, so it's not about the tattoo. It's about idolatry. So it's the principle See, it's the principle. Yes, it's describing a particular, a particular time in the nation of Israel, but it's, it's the principle. So the principle is idolatry. When we're talking about idolatry, that's alive and well in the 21st century, whether it's a new bass boat or a hunting club or, or, or your credit card or your new house or your new this or your new that. I mean, we worship all types of things. And so the reality isn't about the tat or the haircut or the beard. It's, a, it's about idolatry. And so, and, and so, thus, the last time that I talked to someone that had a tattoo, and if you see people with tattoos and you ask them, they'll tell you the story. They don't get the tattoo for an idolatry. idolatry. They're not worshiping that. But it basically is telling their story. And so, in and of that, having a tattoo is not a sin, according to Scripture. Idolatry is, but having a tattoo is not. It's no more a sin than uh, trimming your beard or getting your hair cut on the side or, uh, or planting a garden in your backyard. Again, you have to take it into context. Now, let me talk to the students that are in the room. You may be here and go, oh, I've been waiting for this. Pastor said it's okay, it's not a sin. No, 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 no. Whether you're 13 or you're 35, you're living on your mom and dad's roof. They're paying your bills. They're providing you a place to, to eat, sleep, whatever they're doing. They, they pay the bills. They make the rules. And so whatever your mom and dad say about this issue, that's the law. When you get out on your, on your own, you, you, you can go on with your bad self. You can do what you want to do. But under their house and under their rule, the Bible says that you're to honor your mother and your father, which means you're to obey them, according to Ephesians. And in doing so, if they say no, don't do it. You get on your own, that's between you and the Lord. So, uh, and all the parents said a good amen. All right, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. All right, the question number two is, is plastic surgery, can a Christian have plastic surgery? Can they get a nip, a tuck, a tummy tuck, a, a augmentation, whatever? Uh, well, obviously the Bible doesn't speak directly to this issue. But this is something that we deal with in our American society. 
It's funny, I, I heard a joke the other day about a lady who was at church and she received a prophecy. And the prophecy said that she was going to live 30 more years and that God had great plans for her. And she was so excited. She said, if I'm going to live 30 more years and God has great things for me, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a, I'm, 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 I'm just going to get some plastic surgery. I'm going to get all looking good and nip and tuck and lift and this and that. And she did. And the first day out in public, she walked into the street, hit by a car, dead, went to heaven, stood before the Lord and said, Lord, I don't understand. I received a prophecy that you were going to, somebody prophesied over my life that I was going to live 30 more years and, and have a productive life and do great things for you. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even recognize you. So <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, you got to be careful, right? Okay. Is it right or is it wrong according to scripture? Well, the Bible doesn't speak this issue. So let me give you my opinion. When is it wrong? I think there's two times when you have to really watch this. One is when you're finding your self-worth and what your body looks like. I'm not talking about you're, you're young and you're single and you're trying to get married and we smell your cologne before you ever walked in the room. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, um, you know, you, you, you lost some weight or you, you're getting in good shape or you got some new clothes. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, taking a pride in your appearance. I think we should do that. I, I'm speaking of when, when it's all about, when you become obsessed with every every piece of who and what you are and you're trying to look up to an image that maybe you saw airbrushed in a magazine or or a look or an image I think you have to watch that because Samuel says in the book of Samuel the Old Testament that that man looks on the outer appearance but God looks on the heart and so the Bible is very clear about this issue that beauty is fading that, that we this skin this flesh is corruptible it, it's not going to it's it's not getting better and so don't put your hope, don't put your strength in that. The second time I think that you have to watch it when it's wrong is when your motive is impure. It's to attract others to the attention of your body. That you're doing this in a way that you're trying to draw attention. You know, ladies, you're doing this because you want to draw attention uh, uh, from the men. You want them to see um, whatever, you know, this new sculpted body or whatever. You're, you're trying to put on display your body. Uh, or men. I mean, men, men are just as, in this day and age, are just, just as bad. You're, you're trying to draw attention. You know, you want to take your shirt off, so you want ladies to see. What, what, whatever it may be, you have to be careful because the Bible calls that type of behavior lasciviousness. It's all throughout the New Testament. Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is kind of a big word, which means to entice someone else to sin because of how you treat or you display your body. That you're trying to arouse something. You're trying to garner the attention of. You're trying to, 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 to become the, the showstopper, if you would. And I think something that's important here is that we got to remember modesty. I mean, there's this good old-fashioned thing called modesty. And, and where, you know, if, if you can wear a pair of jeans and we can tell whether it's a quarter or a nickel in your hip pocket, it's too tight. And there are some things that it's not that it's right or wrong. It's just, is it appropriate? There are some things that just need to be concealed and, and better off left not in display. I don't know how else to say it. I know I'm kind of out here in, 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 in on, on the ledge, but let, let me walk a little bit further. I mean, I'm the, I'm the dad of, of a teenager, and there are times I go to school events or, or drop my daughter off at school, and I'm thinking, are not parents looking at what their kid's wearing? I mean, because some of these, these children are as much grown and as much uh, developed as they're ever going to be, yet the, 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 everything is so tight that you can tell whether they are or are not or what kind of undergarments that they're wearing. You, you can, you, I mean, and not that you're looking or Googling. You're just kind of like, whoa, that, that, you know, somebody needs to have a conversation there. Parents, we need to have that conversation with our kids. Children, you listen to your mom and dad. When I say children, I mean 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17. If you're on, if you're on the family salary plan, if they're paying your bills and putting clothes on your back and food in your belly, that's all part of it. It's, it's about modesty. Because if we're not careful, it gets into this lascivious which is behavior, which is very, very pervasive in our, in our culture, that I want to do this in such a way, I want to dress in such a way as to garner attention or, or to attract or to seduce. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be from your inner spirit, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in the sight of God. Make sure you got the inside right. That's what he's saying. So when is it right? Is it ever right to have, in your opinion, Pastor Aaron, to, to have uh, you know, uh, plastic surgery? I think when it's corrective, I think, man, that's always, if there's a damage or an injury that needs to be, be, be changed or corrected, I think when there's health issues, I think when the motives are pure. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, but God knows your motives. I think when your motives are pure, uh, meaning you just, you want to do this because this is something that, you know, uh, you, you want to do to feel better about yourself or you just, you know, you, you feel like this is part of, of you know, uh, of, of, of good health. Um, that's fine. The, the bottom line is it's okay when we do it with, with, with right motives. Ultimately, motives are the issue. And if motives are the issue, then ultimately, here's the thing. The only you know, the only you and God know your heart. And so it's not anybody else's business. That's the bottom line. I'm not going to be this plastic surgery patrol. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't go, oh, I saw what she had done. Did you see what he had done? Or you see, uh, it, it's nobody else's business. It's between you and the Lord. So if your motives are pure before the Lord, and, 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 uh, then that's, that's between you and the Lord. I, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there. Okay. Question number three is, is gambling a sin? Is gambling a sin? Well, this is one of those slippery slope areas. This is one of those areas that, that the Bible does not speak to this issue directly, but it does in principle. And, uh, and I understand there are those people that go, no, man, gambling is sin. It's wrong. It's considered ill-gotten gain. Uh, it, it's wrong because of the type of lifestyle that's associated with it and, and, and all of that. And, and I understand that. Uh, quite frankly, I, man, my grandmother would say that. I, I heard her say My mother would say that. Uh, my grandmother would probably uh, get on to me if she heard this message, God rest her soul. But, I, I, but the reality is, is that when you ask, the Bible does not say, thou shalt not buy a lottery ticket, or thou shalt not uh, go to Las Vegas, or thou shalt not. So how do you determine? Well, I think here's what becomes a danger. I think it, it becomes one of those, those hell lines, one of those cross-the-line issues. Here's what I mean by that. If we're not careful, what we tend to do in life is we say, okay, well, where's the line? How far on the edge can I get and not go to hell? And Because and, I don't want to go to hell. So, Pastor, I'm going to go to hell. I'm not going to do this. But if I can do this and not go to hell, then I'm going to try to stay here. And that's the wrong question. The question isn't how close to the world can I go, can I be, and still get to heaven. The question should be, where's the, the line's here. I want to take a step back because it's a slippery slope. Now, let me help you understand something here. It's very easy to fall across that line. And so, and so the, the, the issue here isn't like you're on a putting green and you're betting a guy a dollar he can't make the putt. Or, or, you're, you know, or you're saying, hey, man, it, I, there's no way you can do that again. If you can do that, I will, I, I'll, I'll bet everybody. I'll take everybody to dinner. I, we're not talking about that. We're, we're, we're talking about when you're putting the rent money for the month on the line in order to make money. 
it, it teeters on that issue of how far is too far. And, and I learned this as a youth pastor. When people are asking where that hell line is or how far is too far, they've already crossed it. If you're sitting there saying, you know, uh, how far is too far with my girlfriend? You've, wherever you've done, you've crossed the line. I'm just telling you. Or people say about drinking. You know, the Bible says it's, it, you know, it's, it's a sin to be drunk, but it's not a sin to, to have, a, have a, a glass of wine or a can of beer. So, so how many beers can I have? How many glasses of wine can I have before I cross the line? Well, if that's the question that you're answering, you've already crossed the line. And so the issue here is it may be okay, but is it beneficial? And what I would say to you is when it comes to the issue of any of these issues, drinking, or, or uh, uh, gambling, any of these issues that can be slippery slopes, uh, betting, any of that, it becomes a situation where you have to go, whoa, 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 here's the line. I'm going to take a step back. Because this may be permissible for me to do this, but it's not beneficial. And in my own life, that's what I do. I just know me. I don't have a problem with those issues. I don't want to have a problem. And so I can get to be completely engaged, and I can be highly competitive. And so... I take a step back. I, 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 don't, I don't allow myself there because I, I, would, I would be the guy just putting everything all on the line to try to win this or, or the same way with alcohol or any issue. So I don't, that's why I don't drink. I mean, I, I, I signed a ministerial covenant saying that I won't as well. But, but, but I don't drink because I just, I just don't want to get close to the line. I, I, I don't want to try to live life on the edge. I want to try to, try to go back. Now, for those of you that are dealing with this, with this gambling uh, question. Look at First Timothy chapter six, verse ten. First Timothy chapter six, verse ten. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And he shows this. Some people eager for money have wandered away from their faith. So they were following Jesus, but they walked away from Jesus because they were eager for money, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the reality. I just don't want to do that. So can I tell you that the Bible says, "Thou shalt not." buy a lottery ticket, or thou shalt not go to Potawatomi, or thou shalt not, not necessarily, but I can show you that, that, that when you start getting to that line issue of where is that line, where, where, when am I loving money and not loving money, how much money, how much can I have and not, what, you've got an issue. And let me show you the principle here behind this, especially when it comes to gambling. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away. That means money that you didn't work for. So you want it. It was a game of chance, a game of bet. Ill-gotten game, my grandmother would say. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Many times the reason why people gamble or they bet is because they're trying to grow money. They're trying to get rich quick. And it may start just gambling a little, just betting a little here or there, but then it grows into something else. And so some questions to ask yourself if you've crossed the line. One, when and how often do you do this? Are you characterized as being a gambler? Is this something that you have on your day timer that, or, your, or your, your calendar each week? Is this something that, you know, is this like something that you do often? Is this something that's a regular routine in your life? Can you not go play a round of golf and not bet and not play for money? Um, secondly, where are you doing this activity? I mean, is it something like you're just out and about and, and it just happens sporadically and you're on a putting green going, man, I, I bet you a dollar you can't make that putt or I'll buy you a, a Coke and a candy bar if you make the putt? Or is it a deal where, man, it's Vegas, baby. It's, it's a whole lifestyle around it. It's, it's all of what you're doing. Because again, even the world calls Vegas Sin City. They do that for a reason. So let's not kid ourselves. Again, that's all part of that line issue. And why? 
Are you doing it to gain money? Are you doing it? Because the Bible specifically says that that will dwindle away. So it, it's of no value. Because if you really want to gain wealth, the way to do that is to systematically, day in and day out, do that. The fourth question that I get is shacking up, living together, playing house as I call it. Is it right or is it wrong? The Bible is clear on this. There's no cultural issues. There's no descriptive. It's very prescriptive. And let's let me define shacking up, hooking up, living together is quote-unquote adultery. Or fornication. Adultery is having sexual relationship with someone that's not your spouse. And you or, and or that other person are married to someone else. And you're in sexual relationship. Fornication is two people that are not in a sexual relationship. Having sexual relations. Uh, that, that are not married having sexual relations with each other. So. And just so we understand what a sexual relationship is. That's, that is sexual arousal. It's gratification. All the way to intercourse. So it doesn't matter if it's foreplay, if it's oral sex, or if it's intercourse. That's sex. And you may be here going, whoa, I can't believe we're talking about this in church. Well, the Bible talks about it very straightforward. And so I'm in good company with, 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 with the New Testament and even the Old Testament. And I mean, hey, just read, read the Word. And if you're worried about your 13, 14, or 15-year-old in here, again, that's part of why we do Life Kids, is so that everything that's in this weekend service is something that would be applicable to your teenager and up. Uh, we, I'm mindful of that because I have a teenager that is in the service as well. Uh, I'm, trust me, they've heard about it. And if you haven't talked to them about it, it's probably a conversation you should have today. But, but, but sexual relationship is sexual arousal, gratification, and intercourse. The Bible says in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, that commandment number 7, adultery, which is sexual relationship out of marriage, is wrong. Let me give you some other scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage. All other uh, sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Now for the matters that you wrote about. This is interesting. The church in Corinth is writing Paul and asking him the same question that I'm addressing today. It, it's good for a man to have sexual relations um, for, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Let's make sure we read that right. Verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. For you know what the instructions that we've given you are of the authority of, of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage, any kind of sex outside of marriage. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like sinners or pagans who do not know God. And, and that in this matter, no one should take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sin, as we told you and warned you before. For, look at verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Look at verse 8. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, these first couple of verses I've just read, rejects that does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is a conversation that we have from time to time at Life Church because any time that we, as, a, as pastors at Life Church, do a wedding, we don't do a wedding for anyone that's living together. And this is a question that we ask. And a lot of times people go, man, you know what? I, I, I didn't realize that this was a sin or, you know what, I did, but we were doing this. And so, you know, uh, we're, we'll, we'll take separate residences until we... Get married, and which is a difficult thing to ask, but it's even more difficult to do. But it's because the, the Bible speaks directly on this. 
But there are times where we get people that go, like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, that just kind of give us the Heisman. That's just old-fashioned, it's just whatever. No, it's what the Word says. And it's exactly what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians uh, that we just read there, chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting God. It's what we talked about last weekend. They're giving God the Heisman. Why? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that we suppress the truth of God in our, in our own sin, our own wickedness. What's interesting, if you go on to read the rest of that chapter, that that rejection of God, that suppressing the truth of God in our own sin, results in idolatry. And it's interesting that we talked about that today. And, and, that it, and that it culminates into sexual immorality. That basically we just become animalistic because we, just, we are just led astray by our own desires, by our own flesh, by our own wants and wishes. So what's the bottom line on this issue? Well, we know that it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. Any kind of sex outside of marriage. And, 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 but, but I want you to I want to remind you something. God is the one that created sex. It's pretty cool, I think. God created sex. And the Bible talks about it. God just puts a parameter on this thing called sex. And it's called marriage. That's why he gave us marriage. That's the one question. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So sex inside the realm of marriage between a husband and a wife, those two people, together forever, and covenant relationship, have fun. You know, uh, that's great. Have a great sex life. But outside of that, it's sin. And so if you're playing house and you're living together, what do you do if you're shacking up? Well, let me give you two options according to Scripture. Number one, get married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. If you can't stay pure, get married. Hey, that's not joke. Let's not play. I mean, if you're living together, everybody knows that, you know, the, the, I mean, forget about the white wedding dress. Everybody knows the purity's gone, so just, just get married. Just get a justice of the peace. Get married. Go. Move ahead. Have a ceremony if you want to later, but get married. Well, I don't want to know if I want to get married right now. Then the option number two is move out because what you're doing is sin. I didn't write it. God's Word said it. Again, where the word of God is straightforward, we take it declarative. We lean on God's word so heavily. If it were to move, we, it, we, it would, we'd fall. So you then move out or get married. That's your two choices. But stop it, according to Scripture. Now, let me close with two things real, real quick. First of all, I, I, I hope that um, I've showed you how to go about answering questions and answers that you may have in Scripture. Because the process that I've walked you through today in these four questions have been processed that, quite frankly, I go through. Any pastor that you're going to talk to goes through. There's not some magic book that we get from seminary. So go through and go, does God's word speak directly to this issue? If it does, that's it. Walk it out. If it doesn't, then is there a principle that addresses this, uh, the, the, the issue or the question? Is there a principle that's there? If it is, then apply it. If it's completely silent on the issue then it's one for you to make your own decision or to seek the advice of others. And again, we've got a lot of young families here at Life Church, and I would encourage you, there's a lot of seasoned Christ followers. Talk to them. Spend time with them. Ask them. Maybe you're dealing with marital issues. Find a couple that's been married 25, 30, 40 years. Talk to them. 
They're not perfect. They've gone through ups and downs, but somehow they've made it. Talk to them. Maybe you're a young single mom, and maybe there's someone that's raised their... How do you... Uh, maybe you're trying to... Go, maybe you're going through a rough time in your life. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Talk to some. You've not the first person that's walked this way before. Walk through it. Get, get with someone. And the second thing I would say is that there may be issues that I presented today that you need to pray and process about. Maybe this gambling thing's an issue. And again, don't email me. Don't. This isn't about emailing me. I'm not your judge. I'm not your jury. Matter of fact, I'm not going to reply to emails about this, whatever. I'm just telling you what the Word says, and then you can take it and do with it what you want to. I'm not your judge anyhow. But you need to look at that. Are you on a slippery slope? Are you just straight up living with someone violent? Maybe you are. And if you are, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to tell you what the Word says. Maybe you've never heard that. You, 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 you need to pray and process this. Maybe you're someone that goes, oh, I'm thinking about having a little something done here, something there. I think I'd like to get a little tummy tuck right here myself if I could get it. There's nothing wrong with it. Go. Be free. Just make sure that you're not hooking your hopes and aspirations in, in your life based upon your external. Because this flesh is so corruptible. And I want to end today with praying for you. Father, I just thank you today for your word. That's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And I pray, God, that we'd hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. That we live our lives in such a way. God, I thank you for this incredible book called the Bible that has the answers to life's questions. Help us, Lord, to open it, to read it, to devour it, to apply it to our lives in such a way that we live God-honoring, Christ-following lives. In Jesus' name, amen.